Hello, friends. You know what today is. I actually don't. Today is Wednesday, January 28th, 2015. This is episode 123 of the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Welcome. Uh, today on the docket, as you know, there is a big UFC event again on Saturday, UFC 183, headlined by Nick Diaz versus Anderson Silva. We'll talk about that, of course, the fight card generally, and I'm sure other things about it. Uh, we just passed UFC on Fox 14. Lots to talk about there. Uh, ratings came out. They were great. We can get to that. Um, a lot of different things you want to get to, we can get to it. Best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com in the comment section. However, I also take questions on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. I'll probably get to those closer to the end of the broadcast. As you can see, I'm home today because i got a thousand things going on in my life, so I have to uh, prepare for that this week. I'm actually going to go out to Las Vegas tomorrow. Um, so if you see me at the UFC 183 weigh-ins, you... By all means, say hello, but I actually will not be at the UFC 183 event. Um, let's see. No coffee today, just water. Um, oh, if you're watching this now, be it live or whether you're watching it uh, at any point in the future, please be so kind as to share this on any form of social media. So like YouTube, share that link. You can share the MMA fighting link, but do it on Twitter, on Facebook, on on whatever it is that you use, Pinterest, Google+. Plus. Um, Anything where you can help spread the word, you can put it on the underground, you can put it on Sherdog.net, you can put it on Reddit, whatever the case may be, all that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, okay, so with that out of the way, let's just sort of get down to the questions, and uh, I don't know, not much else to get to, right? Let's do it now. Let's see. Oops, hang on. My setup is a bit, you can only see how jerry-rigged it was right now, but... It's fine. It'll get the job done for today. All right, let's see. First question that's up. <coughs> for the division's sake, do you think making Gus versus DC is a bad idea? Why not just make Gus versus OSP, DC versus Bader, or vice versa? Uh, yeah, there's two ways you could really go with this. Um. So the argument is the following. The argument is you don't want to put this up. You don't want to put up DC versus Gus because, because look, both of those fights, uh, by that I mean the rematches. So Jones versus Gus 2, Jones versus DC 2 are really sellable rematches. Um, you know, certainly the first fight between Gus and Jones was very, very close. Easy to sell a rematch there for the most part. I mean, he has to get over this Rumble Johnson stuff, but you get the idea. Uh, and then with DC, now that fight wasn't as close in my judgment. I don't think many people thought it was that close, but close enough where, you know, he didn't get finished and fifth round was kind of, uh, um, so you could really look at those fights and say, Hey man, this is, this is doable. These are rematches they can have. So the argument would be made. Why would you put Gus versus DC together and therefore eliminate someone from contendership, at least right away from contendership? It's not a bad argument. It really isn't. Um, it really depends on what UFC wants and what John Jones wants. If they're really desperate to keep him around at light heavyweight, that's probably the way to go. But I would sort of submit to you that I think that's kind of a waste. I think it's kind of a waste because, um, you know, when you had a case where St. Pierre was sitting atop of welterweight at one point and there was a time when Condit wasn't quite the top contender, but like, you know, top seven, top eight I think Koscheck was floating in that space as well, maybe just below it. 
but it was certainly still, I think, thought of as a contender, you would say, well, why would you give Condit to 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 Koscheck? Because certainly Condit is a capable striker and can knock anybody out, but he's probably going to get wrestled to death by Josh Koscheck. And it's probably going to be in a three-round fight. I mean, this was, I think, that at that time, there weren't as many five-round main events. That would be a little bit different now, but you get the idea. And so they wound up trying it for a bit, then abandoned it because of injury and stuff. But that was the thought, was that you're just ruining contenders that this guy could have. You know, I'm sympathetic to the argument. I, I do think that both of those rematches are very, very doable. But at the same time, there is a unique gravity between these guys. You know, light heavyweight is not even what middleweight is. It's certainly not what light heavyweight used to be. But what I would I would sort of take a closer look at light heavyweight. Those top four guys now, so Jones, DC, Gustafson, Rumble, whatever word you want to put them in after Jones, there's a lot of different permutations you could make there. And I kind of feel like you haven't really told the story of the division until a couple of that, those guys face each other. So from a business consideration standpoint, I'm entirely sympathetic to people who say, you know what, give him, uh, I think someone brings it up here, give him, uh, yeah, Gus versus OSP or DC versus Bader. Okay, I understand that argument. I don't think it's a bad one, but I would just sort of reconsider a little bit. You really want to have a division where these elite guys just fight John Jones and then nothing but non-elite guys? That to me seems like a bit of a waste. You know, the days of 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 it was chuck and tito and randy and for a time vitor and they all kind of took turns on each other and and it really didn't overall impact how many title shots you got i mean in fact you got two ortiz versus um uh liddell's you got three couture's versus liddell's you know um so so you got and you got a couple of couture's versus belfort's although for a different reason but um and, of course, you got Tito versus Belfort. You get the idea. The, the, the point was we got a real sense of hierarchy between those guys. And I think we would all agree between, or I should say, among Johnson, Jones, D.C., and Gustafson. Now, D.C. is a little bit older. He's a little longer in the tooth. It's not clear how much time he has left as a competitor. But those guys are not going to lose at all likelihood to anybody without those names. So, sure, you can give them those fights, and they can jump to the front of the queue, and they can get right back, and John Jones can get his title fights. And that's all good and well. But I don't know. I think I would really sort of think about that long and hard. There, That, to me, seems like if we never have a Gustafson-Cormier fight, if we never have a Cormier-Rumble Cormier fight, assuming, let's say, Rumble loses to Johnson, um, hell, if we don't have a, a Rumble-Gustafson rematch, that's the lesser one of importance. But you get the idea. that I feel like we're losing something there, something very, very special. Sometimes these elite guys should take turns on each other. Should that's the way it kind of could kind of, kind of happen. It can lift the division, at least the very top of it, one more time. And and some of the great divisions were lifted by this very phenomenon by having a set of elite guys all going in on each other. You know, um, when they when they duck around it just to make more title fights. I understand the economics of it, and and I'm not mad at those fights. Like I'd be okay with a Gustafson Jones rematch. I'd be okay with a DC. Um, uh, Jones rematch um, or, or whatever the case. I'd be okay with any of these rematches that people are proposing by giving them guys they can beat. I don't think any of these are bad fights. It's sort of like, um, you know, an embarrassment of riches here. But I would be kind of, I think it'd be remiss if we went away, the, these guys retired and, and Gustafson never fought Daniel Cormier. That seems like we're missing out on something kind of important. Oh man, I never plugged in my front, my I never plugged in my uh, computer. 
No, that's okay, though. I can get that in just a minute. Hang on. I can get that in just a minute. There we go. All right. Lights went out there, didn't they? Let's see how that looks. Probably pretty bad. That's all right. I don't care. All right. I hear my dog whining outside the door, by the way. Let's see. Um... So it says DC versus Gus next for me. Again, I can. I really am sympathetic to that argument. I'll plug this back in in just a second. Dan Henderson is a is forty four years old. He's lost five of his last six fights. His UFC record is seven and seven. There was a time when I felt Dana uh, White UFC would step in and tell fighters to retire when the time was right. But now I realize this scenario will only happen if that person is a friend of Dana White or if he or she isn't a star name that can be used for co main and main events. Um, forget CM Punk. This is the saddest part of the numerous events for me now. Krokop back in the UFC main event, despite his abysmal recent record, shows me that fighters will be offered fights if they are KO'd again and again and again. If Anderson Silva is hurt badly in his fight with Nick Diaz, does anybody really think the UFC will turn him away if he shows interest to fight again? In the years past, but to quote Cowboy, not today, not today. Am I crazy or is there a dark and sad road ahead? This is a very, very good question. This is an important time for the UFC. I'm not going to really criticize them just yet because I think, although I think the Krokop part is certainly worthy of criticism. Um, let's see what they do with Dan Henderson. This is a really key question because it it involves a number of different factors, and depending on how you answer it, it reveals something about the priorities. I think your question is excellent, right? Because you you correctly state the circumstances here. Dan Henderson is... Um, I don't, I don't think it'd be fair to say he's failing, but relative to the standard of excellence to which we are accustomed, he is far away from that, which is to be only expected. He's only, I mean, he's, the guy is almost what, 45 years old, not quite. Why would we expect him to perform? I mean, the fact that he's performing as well as he is, is sort of like a minor miracle. You know what I mean? We, we should, after all the years of wrestling and all the years of fighting and cutting weight and getting hit and training, this is what happens. This is the inevitable conclusion. There's nothing mysterious or magical or aberrant about it. This is exactly what happens. This is exactly what happens. And that's okay. Everyone has a run and all those runs come to an end at some point. Uh, and it certainly feels like we are, are, are near that. But here we have a case where Dan Henderson um, wishes to continue. Right, he's made it sort of explicitly clear that his priority is not to stop. We, are, we have a situation where his legendary ability to absorb damage is badly compromised. I mentioned this on the Monday Morning Analyst. Like, it's not just one thing to say Dan Henderson was the former welterweight and middleweight champion of pride at the same time, or that it was a strike force champion, or that, um, you know, he's everything uh, you know, but a UFC champion. Um, Dan Henderson is a all-time first ballot Hall of Famer. All those things are true. But part of the way in which he got here was, was he had an incredible ability to take a shot. And people are saying, well, he didn't take it on the chin. I mean, a couple of responses to this, guys. Number one, yes, it wasn't hit directly on the chin. But what we're talking about here is the ability to take damage. You really think he didn't get chip shots onto the side of his head previously, side slash back even of his head in his days in Pride or previous fights elsewhere? I'm sure he got dinged up there. It just didn't have the same effect. Once the brain suffers enough of these traumas, 
Um, you know, certainly some positions are more vulnerable than others. Certain places on the head are more vulnerable than others. I don't deny any of this, but there's a general decline in one's ability to take a shot. It's not 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 just he got hit on the ch- or he did or didn't get hit on the chin. Two, the chin is sort of a metaphor for um, you know one's ability to take that punishment. So, like, okay, we're not geographically pinpointing the tip of the chin as the culprit here or the place of of, of being targeted here, but um, that may not be the most relevant concern. And it's not just about simply this last fight. We have a body of work now where that ability to take a shot is clearly shown to have been diminished. And again, why is this a mystery? He's what, 44, Dan Henderson, 43, 44. This is, this is, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. This is why there are, this is why there are commissions in place. Not so much that he is, you know, so badly compromised that he can't compete again at all. But you get the idea. People age and their ability to take a shot, particularly after years of taking them, diminishes. This is this is this is entirely normal. Totally, totally normal. I mean, even someone as borderline superhuman as Dan Henderson will experience decline. But he is still a a, a viable commercial entity. So what are they gonna do with him? You know, I suspect that um, he will compete again. There are probably uh, less than a handful of opponents about which th- I'd be okay with him doing that. I'd also be okay with him retiring at this point, too. But your question, uh, you know, let's just see what UFC does here. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. With the Crow Cop thing, um, you know, I, uh, there's not much defense of it. It's it's a it's a clear abdication of their traditional standard of excellence um, based on the fact that the guy still has name value into the things you mentioned. Um, but let's see if there's a larger body of work here. Perhaps, perhaps there are other mitigating circumstances with regard to Krokop that I can't, that I'm not thinking of right now. But um, so I'll, I'll, I'll actually say hands off on this one. Uh, usually, you know, I, I'm pretty quick to drop the hammer, but I will actually say hands off. Let's see what UFC does. Let's see what they do. Because to me, this is, this is highly interesting stuff. Are they going to actually, sort of take his the health risk seriously and give him, say, one more bout against a very beatable opponent and then sort of put him on his way, which I find, you know, highly suspect because if they do, then who's going to take him? Well, of course, Strike Force. Not Strike Force, I'm sorry. Bella Force. Uh, Bellator will, of course, take him, you know. Um, and again, that would be a ghoulish thing as well, but this is sort of how the game works. So uh, this is a very difficult situation, and that's an excellent question, and it's one we absolutely need to keep monitoring. Now, with that said, I'm a dumbass. And unplug this thing. So give me where are we at here? How's it look? Well, I gotta plug my computer in no matter what. As you guys can see, I came deeply prepared for this with my high-tech state-of-the-art equipment. As my dog whimpers outside. <laughs> Can't believe this effort has this kind of separation anxiety. Let me plug this in real fast. All right. Here we are. There we go. Good enough. Paige Van Zant. What do you make of the UFC matching her up with Felice Herrig? Is it too much too soon? Should the UFC build her up slowly and give her much more time to develop as a fighter? Her last fight on Fight Pass, coming out of that fight, she garnered over 100,000 searches on search engines. If you were the UFC, how would you handle promoting Paige Van Zant? She's definitely star material has even gotten the attention of mainstream media. Should the UFC promote her the same as Connor? Uh, well, I don't think they can promote her the same as Connor because she's not a national icon. 
She is not somebody that has this ability to culturally speak to people in a unique way. So no, there's, there's none of that. Um, secondly, while she is very promotable, she doesn't do uh, the kind of heavy lifting that Conor McGregor does for himself. So there's a lot of circumstances there where I wouldn't like, let's, let's just leave the Conor McGregor stuff as a separate, its own special kind of thing. Okay. Um, what I would tell you is um, I wouldn't underestimate her chances to beat Herrig. I think Herrig is a massively improved fighter. We talked about this uh, previously that, you know, I was there for, her, I think her pro debut against Iman Achel in Fairfax and just the amount of progress she's made is remarkable, but I still think she's has, you know, a lot of pretty exploitable parts of her game that somebody like Paige Van Zant is, who seems to be a very quick study can take advantage of um, whether or not they are booked for what I can, you know, politely described as aesthetic reasons. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it seems awfully coincidental, but could just be that as, uh, uh, you know, could just be that I'll have a hard time believing that to be perfectly honest. But, um, I would also say that, look, they need contenders, uh, in that division too. Um, you know, the outside, I mean, you know, Godelia might get back to the top pretty quick and obviously, uh, you know, uh, Jinjurik is going to get her shot and all that good stuff. But, um, but they need contenders there too for Esparza. And so perhaps this is a way to quickly facilitate them. And, and, and if someone as young as she is loses this early in her career and, assuming she can get to a point where she can you know, contend for a title, um, then th- this is not some insurmountable obstacle. They can overcome this. This is something that they can work around. It's, so it's when it's later in someone's career that, you know, um, massaging a title shot or then losing them a title shot really becomes, you know, ha- has really deep implications for the, for their future. This would not really be the case. Um, she is, she's, she could lose a title shot in say a year and it would be, no big deal, especially since the Spars is a, a little bit older. So we'll see. I, I would not really underestimate her chances. I understand that it feels rushed because she's all of a sudden brand new here and now she's fighting people, but she may be of commensurate level with them. I don't think that's the craziest idea in the world. I, I certainly think her wrestling is and her intensity is enough to give Herrick some serious problems. Herrick likes to control things um, in – she really, here's what I would say. She really has an inability to work outside of her comfort zone. Like prime Noguera had an, an ability to work outside of his comfort zone, a certain patience, a certain durability. Um, Herrick doesn't really have that. She's got a lot of extra skills. Uh, and I think someone who puts the kind of intensity on, even with the technical mistakes that they make, like Van Zant, can create some problems for her. So they may not actually be rushing her at all. Uh, who is scarier, Rumble at 205 or TRT Vitor? funny uh trt vitor was like more unhinged you know uh but rumble at 205 is certainly how do you want to say um there's a quiet lethality to his game you know that there's always just i mean he's got because he's so much more mature now and like placid at all times but Underneath that is this like volcanic ferocity that is just un, you know always seemingly on the verge of uh, you know overwhelming his opponents. So I would say 
I would say scarier in a comical way, TRTV tour, scarier in an actual competitive way, Rumble at 205. Uh, thoughts on UFC 183 fight card. The main card is Diaz Silva. Great. Gaslam Woodley. It's good. Iaquinta versus Lozon. I like it. Boach versus Lightes. Uh, that is not that great. Tiago Alves versus Jordan Meehan. I like it. Then we have the FS1 card. McMahon Tate. That's great. Brunson Herman. That's the Redux. Lineker McCall. Great. Natal versus Watson. Totally forgettable. Brandal versus Hedges. Should be at least be an action fight. Uh, Andy Anz versus uh, Chiago Santos. That should be great, too. And then Ildemore Alcantara versus uh, Richardson Moreira. Um, for the Fight Pass card, it's a pretty decent card. For FS1 card, it's a it's a great card. For a main card, it's pretty good. So I would rate this maybe two and a half, three. Not, not about. I mean, we'll see how it all plays out in the end. The only fights that I really am not that psyched about are the Boach Lighty's fight. Um, Brunson Herman might be good, but I'm not. It doesn't get me going. It might be fine. Natal Watson, I don't really care about that. Um, and then, you know, five pass fights are just what they are. But this is going to be a long card, man. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a long card. You see, you got, let's see, five, nine, 12 fights. Yeah, it's a long night. Why are there two English-speaking broadcast teams on the Sweden Fox show? So I wondered about this. And, oh, by the way, I have a couple of updates. I wondered about this. Number one, um, I am under the impression that Fox wanted a certain broadcast and uh team they like rogan they like goldberg for that team i'm sure they're willing to take um you know different broadcasters if need be but there's a certain kind of familiar experience to the ufc fan to which they're catering to in the united states and north america that goldberg and rogan can provide that familiarity that you know uh hardy and gooden cannot i don't think even like for world cup broadcasts here when you've got like ian dark you've got taylor twelman as his color guy so it's you know there's an English broadcaster, but then there's not. Now certainly if they're you know English Premier League games that are on NBC Sports, it's all British commentators. But you get the idea. Like I think that Fox execs are, you know, they want they want what what people know here in the United States, and the same might go for how it's broadcast in various networks in the UK or throughout Europe for that matter. They want, may want the same kind of guys that are familiar to those audiences. So it's not really that, that surprising. I think for the hardcore audience who doesn't really care about these sorts of things and who thinks that Dan Hardy and, and Gooden are a great team. You're right. I like, it's one of my favorite teams the UFC puts together. There's not, it's not a quality issue. It's simply speaking to people's um, predispositions and likes whether or not that really makes a lot of sense to people who are less concerned with those sorts of things. A couple of notes, by the way, I mentioned, I was supposed to mention it at the top of the show. People asked about the March 7th, uh, fight pass card. I think it's UFC one, UFC fight night 62, something like that. Um, I asked UFC about it. They didn't comment about it. I would say, I don't want to go out here and say it's safe to assume that it's been canceled or postponed, you know, but just do the math. Um, there is, I would say, certainly reason for skepticism about whether it will take place at this point, particularly since I couldn't get an answer from UFC on that. People are also asking about some of the Fight Pass card announcements. Folks involved with Fight Pass tells me there are announcements coming very soon. They didn't give me quite a timeline, but they were confident they had some things that they wanted to announce uh, coming up here pretty quickly. Uh, the third thing that I want to mention, how about the broadcast? I can't believe I forgot, but here we'll do it now. 
Uh, I mentioned that I had heard that Bellator and Everlast had parted ways. You notice that Everlast had then partnered up through their parent company with the UFC. I went back and asked uh, Bellator about it. It is true. Bellator and Everlast have parted ways. Now, it looks like that blue and red glove that Bellator is now using is still technically an Everlast glove, which is their right to use. They can use those gloves. It's not a sponsorship issue. I think that they're going to go in another direction with some other brand. I don't, they didn't quite say that, but it seems like they're exploring at least the option. But uh, Bellator is no longer being sponsored by Everlast. That partnership is over. And for the reasons for that, I don't know. But certainly partnering with Everlast and UFC, you can maybe see that they decided that was a, a better direction for their brand. There you go. Uh, all right. And so I will ask about this. I will. I, I, this is my understanding about what had happened, but I'll verify with the folks at Fox about whether the two teams had to do with that, the cultural preferences between the various networks showing this. Uh, all right. Jones versus Johnson. How do you see the fight going? It's an interesting question, man. It's a really, really, really interesting question. Um, I favor Jones because it's hard for me to see him losing to anybody. I think when you've... If you noticed how much bigger Gustafson was than Rumble, I think you'll feel that even more when Jones is in there because Jones is actually better at using his reach. I think he's going to have his hands in front of him a lot. A lot. Um, I think that I think that one thing we didn't see in this Gustafson fight. You go back and look at the ways. If you for someone like John Jones, I mean, he probably has a great shot, even for someone his size. But you're not going to level change at six foot four, six foot five. He's a little bit taller than me, maybe. You're not going to level change, and then all of a sudden you're going to get on Anthony Johnson's hips. Like it's not going to work. He's really strong there. He's got great hips. He's got great MMA take defense. It's uh, take down defense. It's just not going to happen for you. But if you've noticed, especially in the Koscheck fight, Koscheck was able to punch his way into the clinch got the double underhooks and buddy it was a big problem for him from there he struggles with with clinch breaks he struggles with um, body lock takedowns john jones has great body lock takedowns even without double underhooks um so for me that's something to take a look at i would really take that i thought gus would be able to do it not so much um the hand speed of of, of rumble johnson of, of connecting on a punch not even a straight punch but a winging punch and to do so with authority was really scary stuff. You just don't see guys with that kind of ability very often. So that, to me, was very impressive. But I guess I just sort of feel like John Jones, if John Jones fights the way – John Jones is excellent at managing distance. Yeah? I think we can all agree about that. For me, that's a little too much to overcome, even for someone who can close distance really quickly with his punches, like Anthony Johnson and is one who has crippling power. What I will say, though, is you certainly see sometimes John willing to put himself in a position of risk um, for for a certain outcome. So here's what I mean. Certainly in the, in the Teixeira fight, in the DC fight, you saw him putting himself in the clinch, taking hard punches when he didn't necessarily need to. And I made this point before. This is why... In some respects, measuring John Jones's dominance is very difficult. Not because you can't look at his resume and go, oh my God, it's incredible. You can do that, but there's even another layer of talent there that's not being displayed because he's he likes to win on terms that are pleasing to him. You know, he wants to send messages. There's a famous quote from Steve Mako from that uh, when he was wrestling for um, Iowa. And I think it was called The Season, something like that. What was that wrestling documentary uh, about the Iowa wrestling season? Something like that. Or he goes, I like wrestling because I like to change people. You know? 
like you like to you like to physically dominate someone so much that they begin to change in their brain how they think about themselves. That's that's a real thing, by the way. Um, so some guys have to get badly knocked out or never the same. But be that as it may, um, so he likes to win on things that are pleasing to him and send messages to his opponents. That puts him in unnecessary positions of risk. That's not really, technically speaking, great risk management. He's been able to get away with it. So I really wonder about that. I wonder if that's something that somebody like Anthony Johnson can exploit later on in the fight or maybe even early. Uh, but again, I would favor Jones. I just think his distance management, if he really wants it to be there, it's just going to be too much for for Johnson to overcome. I also think he's going to be physically lording over him in a way that folks will be surprised by. All right. What is the logic in putting McCall versus Lineker, which is essentially a flyweight number one contender bout on the prelims and not even headline the prelims? That fight is below Brunson Herman. Why not put Lightes versus Boach on the prelims and have McCall Lineker on the pay-per-view card? The UFC is doing the flyweight division zero service. Boys, we have talked about, ladies and gentlemen, we have talked about this ad nauseum. Guys, why is Lineker McCall on the prelims? Hmm? Why? This is not a very difficult question to answer, I'm afraid. Because that's not a fight as part of a larger package the UFC believes they can sell you and get the same amount of buys, right? If they thought that putting that fight on the main card would substantially increase the number of buys, it would be there. Now you're asking, does Boach versus Lightes do that? No, but um, I don't think it detracts in the same kind of way that a flyweight fight might. I really don't. And that's unfortunate to say, but that's sort of the reality that we're facing. Partly it's an exposure issue. I think, in some capacity, you could make the argument that more people will see it on Fox, but I or uh, on the Fox Sports one. But even I don't believe that. If it's your marquee product, your marquee product is going to go in front of as many eyeballs as possible. More people watch a, prelim, a pay-per-view fight than than a, than a prelim event. I'm con- utterly convinced of that. Um, it may go into homes on free TV, but just the amount of general interest that converges, uh, certainly around a main event, but even then, before that, you can see, you can watch. Uh, traffic build over time. That's more people peering in over time. If they put that third on a, on a fight card, you could definitely get, I would argue, more attention, bigger eyeballs on it than you would if it was on you know, a Fox Sports 1 card. I mean, how many Fox Sports 1 prelim cards have, at fights have there been this month? You know, a lot. It's one sort of bleeds into the next. This is not a particularly special position. It's not a bad position, but, you know, 700,000, 800,000 is what these sometimes do. You're really going to tell me that's the maximum of people watching the third fight on a, on a pay-per-view card headlined by the return of Anderson Silva? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for two seconds. It's not bad exposure. I don't think it's tantamount exposure. Moreover, and I see some guys saying this, and I don't know why I... I, I, I uh, just don't, I just don't understand this argument. I'll get to it later. There's another question about it. I'll get to it later. But that, that would be my explanation to you. Ryan Bader, is Bader versus Evans the next logical matchup for both men, both coming off wins and similarly ranked? Seems that way to me because Evans is that last guy floating in there. Now, I don't know how he fits into the equation I mentioned before where you have the Rumbles because you can't fight him, but you can fight the Gustafsons. You can fight the potentially maybe he could get a rematch at John Jones. I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world, although – probably unlikely. Um, maybe he could fight DC. He was supposed to fight DC. So he kind of fits into that equation too, although less uh, snugly because he's rematch or he's um, teammates rather with Anthony Rumble Johnson. But yeah, that's not a fight I, I, I'm ultimately opposed to. But then if you do that, 
then where does he go? So he goes against Bader. Let's say he beats Bader. I would favor him to beat Bader. Um, who does he face then? The loser of Jones jo- uh, Johnson? Uh, only if it's Jones, but then Jones will probably get an automatic rematch. What do you do with Johnson at that point? It's a difficult thing to do. I, I don't I don't mind the fight, but Rashad's in a bit of a weird space where um, he can be competitive at light heavyweight, and there's a couple interesting fights from up there, but it's still more limited than you would think. He's not going to get an automatic rematch. Another top contender is a teammate. Other two guys are there. Those are great fights, but that's about it. Someone says, it seems that Fight Pass gets only the prelims now. Uh, was the full cards they offered earlier a way to get the service to catch on and get subscribers now that they are done offering full cards? Relax. There's, there's more coming. Uh, we never got your take on booking Faber, Asun Sal, and who are you taking? I could easily see Asun Sal winning this, man. I really can. Uh, could Faber lose his first non-title fight? I, it's very possible. It's very... I don't think... I mean, if you want to favor... If you want to favor... Uh, Faber, that's fine. I don't think it's a crazy idea at all, but I would be, I think Asun Sal, I don't know what the odds are yet, but if he's a dog, he's a live one. I like his chances a lot. And I think Dominic Cruz made a great point about it, that he's just done a lot to, to evolve and add to his game. There's just so much more to it now than there used to be. It's really, really true. I think sometimes his risk management is poor in the opposite direction, whereas some fighters don't take it seriously enough. He sometimes takes it a little too seriously. But I will say this, he's added a lot more to his striking arsenal. He's added a lot more, I think, all around to his defensive fundamentals. Submission defense is always pretty good. Uh, it's even better now. His takedown defense is much better now. He doesn't get hit like he used to. He's he's a vastly improved fighter. Tate versus McMahon. I think this is going to be a really fun fight. How do you see the fight going? Who comes out on top? Boy, I don't know about this one. I really don't know about this one. This is a tougher one for me. I think some folks have strong opinions about it. I guess I'm not one of them. Um, yeah, so Tate's a better wrestler than she gets credit for, but she's not the wrestler McMahon is. McMahon's a great wrestler, but doesn't pass guard very well. Certainly not past half guard very well. Uh, Tate's a much better striker. Tate has, I would still say, fought better opposition in totality. Uh, and Tate has a little more submission savvy than McMahon. Um, but McMahon has smothering top control. I don't know. I know uh, my colleague, RJ Clifford, at the SiriusXM Fight Club, thinks McMahon's going to roll. Um, I don't know. Part of me is just like, do I really see Misha Tate getting control for three rounds? Part of me finds that hard to believe. But the other part of me is like, well, just look at the math on this one. I'm, I'm open to, I'm open to either possibility. I think it's a competitive fight. I think it will tell us a lot. Like if Tate can beat McMahon and you got some serious questions about McMahon's upside that are already there, but would only be exacerbated. And I think by contrast, if, if, uh, you know, um, if Tate loses, then you really sort of have to wonder about what sort of level of competition she can really offer in that division. True false. Joe Rogan had a horseshoe up his ass during the UFC on Fox broadcast. Just going to ignore that one. Uh, Hoist has done more to ruin his reputation in the last 10 years than Dennis Rodman. False. Anderson Silva was knocked out in LA during his training camp for Diaz. Got to ask James Goiter about that one. I typically find those rumors to be Hard to take seriously. Jones will think twice about poking Anthony Johnson in the eyes. Probably not. AJ will knock out Jones after an unintentional eye poke. Probably not. Phil Davis has reached his ceiling. 
That's an interesting question. Phil Davis has reached his ceiling. True. It's a relative thing, but true. John Jones versus Gustafson 2 would be far less competitive than their first fight. True. Dillashaw versus Barrow 2 would be more competitive than their first fight. Also true. Silva versus Diaz isn't going to be competitive. I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, Silva versus Diaz is not going to be competitive. Let's say false. Silva versus Diaz does over 500K buys. I think so. Aldo versus McGregor does over 450K buys. I also think so. Bruce Buffer will go after Nick Hine for using its time phrase in a fan Q&A. Okay. Why doesn't Phil Davis get a striking coach like Team Alpha Male did to improve their their wrestler's striking? Will he always be the best of the gatekeepers? I don't really understand this criticism. Do you guys not know who Eric Del Fierro is? (laughs) He's only one of the best coaches in the game and is the striking coach over at Alliance. And by the way, Alliance's success speaks for itself. Now, maybe... um, you know, maybe we have to acknowledge the particular grandeur of the of the results that Bang Ludwig and Martin Campman and others who've assisted over at Team Alpha Male have experienced. Okay, fine, but um, Jesus Christ, are we not going to give Eric Del Fierro credit? Really, that's what we've come to. One of the best coaches in the game with a demonstrated record of success, and Phil Davis is not getting what he needs. Guys, I I, I keep mentioning this. Like, Phil Davis is a great athlete. Not everyone can be good at MMA, or not everyone who lacks skills in MMA or the ability to do things in certain ways is a function of work ethic. Even for good athletes, it's that's not the way life works. It's not, you can't just go be something because you work hard at it. You got to have a lot of genetic luck or just an insane ability to pick up skills. That's why at the end of the day, you can say whatever you want. Oh, this is real pro wrestling. That's what this is. Nah, it's a talent competition, is what this is. And there's different talents being evaluated, but the predominant one is your ability to fight. That's what this is. It's a talent competition. And yeah, if you watch American Idol, sometimes your Sanjayas are going to sneak through. Because you you know who the voting base is or something like that. That's why you get CM Punks and stuff like that showing up. But this is a talent competition, and not everyone has talent. Talent's a really hard thing to develop. It's a hard thing to, you know, you're born with it in some capacity, and your ability to develop it is, yes, it's partly a function of your work ethic. But you know, I can work, and you, even you watching this, Mr. Good Athlete out there, you can work just as hard as Michael Jordan is. You're not going to do what he did. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Life is, life is hard and brutal and unfair, man. This is not a function of Phil Davis not being a good athlete. This is not a function of Phil Davis not putting in the work. This is not a function of Phil Davis not having a good striking coach. Sometimes all those things are not enough. That's just how life goes, man. It's why you have to celebrate people who are good at it because you can see how hard and like Phil Davis is your test case for why those things should be celebrated in other guys who have them because they are so rare. And Phil Davis is a good fighter with a good record who's done a lot in his career. So like we're sounds like you know we're sound like he's bottom of the barrel. No, he's he's pretty close to the top. If you look at the entire division worldwide, Phil Davis is only a few guys ahead of him. You know, but that just shows you, man, you can have a guy who has a wrestling background who looks like Hercules when he takes his shirt off, who has an elite camp with elite training partners, who has the money to pay for elite training camps, who has an elite coach. And after years of training, this is what he's got. 
you know, a good skill set, but a limited one. That's that's why talent matters. That's why you asked me, why don't you care about watching Crow Cop Gonzaga? Because that ain't a talent competition. That's not what that is, man. It's sort of kind of one in a really weird way. Not really. It's it's you know, it's it's something altogether different. And if you have listen, I'm not gonna get back into it. If you, you like that stuff, okay, fine. But you know, understand what it is that you're watching. And of course, someone brings up the old trope, there are athletes and there are fighters. Well, that's a dumb thing to say. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, let's see. Silva Diaz hype. With all the hype that has occurred in the last month from Jones DC to McGregor Seaver to Gustafson Johnson, we now make our way to Silva versus Diaz. While I am really excited for this fight, I guess I am not as excited as I feel I should be. I think this is in part due to the lack of uh, being conditioned to the backstage hype. That's his words, not mine. His quotes, I should say. To help promote the fight, e.g. Silva Stone and more recently Jones Cormier, I am even perplexed that there has not been more confrontational Diaz rhetoric. What do you make of Diaz said in the recent countdown to 183, where he says, I quote, look, we got to, we got to fight. He's got, he's a big popular draw. I'm a big popular draw where are the best there is. The two people that everyone wants to see, they're going to fight each other. He does martial arts and is a black belt. I respect that. I do martial arts. I'm a black belt. He obviously respects that. I do have nothing to say to my opponent. I don't have, oh, you know, Anderson, you know, there is nothing to say. There ain't no bitch or F you. That would be way out of line. With some traditional Diaz trash talk along the way and some playful Anderson banter back have been something that would have raised a greater excitement in the midst of such a packed month. It appears the story is not one of rivalry, but rather one of two comebacks, Silva from surgery and Diaz from sabbatical. I think this is an okay question, but I really sort of wonder what it all signals from the person asking it. Not that I think this person's on their own. I think many people feel this way. Um, This is a strange question to me. Not that it comes out of left field exactly. I don't mean that. But um, we like what is your best case scenario as a promoter? What is your best case scenario? You're putting on a main event. You're a boxing promoter. You're an MMA promoter. Whatever. What's what's your number one best case scenario? It is probably with probably very little exception, probably one versus two in the world or some kind of, you know, I mean, Pacquiao may with a super, super fight, but they both basically fight in the same weight class with some differential there, there, right? It's like one versus two. It's a title fight. Uh, maybe it's a heavyweight title fight. We can, you can, you know, argue with the weight class, but then you add to that uh, a tremendous amount of rivalry, right? That is your best case scenario. Okay. That's why something like Jones DC, now that didn't do a million buys. I don't mean that necessarily, but you know, that had everything a promoter could basically ask for. There was very little missing there, right? I think we can all pretty much agree to that. That was, that was, I won't say as good as it gets, but pretty damn close. Yes. But that's, that's simply one scenario of greatness. Now it might be the ultimate scenario of greatness, but trying to manufacture a rivalry that doesn't exist to me would detract from this, right? Why would you want to inject something into something that is not there? Sometimes that works. I'll admit 
may not work on me personally or you personally, but it can have an effect on the market. But in the case of Diaz and Silva, you have a wild card who you can't really tell what to do, and you have Silva, a powerful figure who is not that under a promoter's thumb. So just logistically, it'd be hard to get him to do this. This is not Bisping versus Silva, where they have to drum up all this intensity. Moreover, there's a lot of other things carrying the story that make the need for phony dislike uh, a distraction. You'd have the things you mentioned. Diaz returning from sabbatical. Now, that's not the most interesting thing. But Anderson Silva returning from injury, devastating injury. This, guys, this is the return of Anderson Silva. This is a big story. This is something that can help promote a fight. This is something that gets people curious. And maybe if there was rivalry between these two, it would even add to it further, but only because it'd be real, only because there'd be something to it. You need certain conditions, even for manufactured beef to work. And this is not one of those conditions. Two guys who are, for different reasons, very hard to be told what to do, who don't really do all that well at faking it. They can, I suppose, a little bit sometimes here to there, but not really. It's not what they do well. It's not what they're great at. Certainly in the case of Silva, he needs a dance partner like Chael Sonnen, and Diaz also needs a foil. Not, these guys have too much respect for each other as martial artists, as prize fighters, for that to really happen. And moreover, I would just simply submit to you this idea of like two guys hating each other, enhancing a fight. This is to me like asking... You know, oh, what did we have last week for, oh, we went out to eat and we had this wonderful meal. And at the end, we had this crazy sugary dessert. And then it's like asking for that week after week after week. It's like, don't you get tired of the sugary dessert? Now, maybe that sugary dessert is the best dessert that there is in the city. And it's a three-star Michelin restaurant. And it's like this huge death by chocolate thing. And it's the greatest. But Jesus Christ, like, that has its limits too, man. Sometimes you just want... I don't know, ice cream. What's wrong with ice cream? I mean, these are sort of pedestrian ways of talking about it, but I'm just trying to make you understand that might be the ultimate and that might be the best, but there are different shades and complexions and contours to fight promotion that don't have to borrow from the same exact script, especially when you have characters who aren't really that capable of carrying out a simple basic narrative. And did you not get your fill with Jones versus Diaz? Did you not get your fill with Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo? Uh, to some extent, and look what just happened. Gustafson versus Rumble didn't do any of that. It did great ratings on Fox. So this idea like, well, we could be at 100,000 buys if these two guys would flip each other off, they're probably going to have an intense stare down. Or maybe they won't, but I wouldn't rule it out. These two guys are competitive. They're 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 prize fighters, elite ones at that. One has a the greatest fighter ever by some people's measurements and is coming back from a devastating injury. This is plenty. This is plenty. You don't need anything else besides this. Take it for what's there. Take it for what's there. If you have an issue with, I'm not sure how I feel about the fight, it's because there are other things that I would submit to you that are impacting that. Number one, I can't really decide if this is a super fight or a tune-up fight. Because if you're looking at prime Anderson Silva, or at least you know even slightly subprime, whatever the one who fought Weidman the second time, there's not much reason to believe Diaz can beat that guy. That's just a fact, I, I think. Again, stranger things have happened in mixed martial arts, but that's kind of, I think, a fair thing to say. And yet, I think because of the way things have diminished with Anderson Silva's ability to absorb punishment and his own interest potentially in the game and the year off and what they could do to him, 
maybe this is more competitive than we think. So we don't quite know how to feel about it. Also with Diaz, you know, Diaz does walk in a straight line. He doesn't move his head. He's got great jujitsu, but he's not a great wrestler. He's not interested in really wrestling you. So there's a bit of a certain one-dimensionality to his game, even though he has many other dimensions. And so I think folks don't really know how they feel about it. I think they like the idea. I think it'll do well. Diaz is a sympathetic figure for some reason, for some, I should say. And, and, and Silva is as well for many others and for different reasons. And that star power enough is to make something compelling and it's the return of Anson Silva. These are the terms which you have to accept the bout. But if you have issues with it, I think it's because the bout is weird. And UFC doesn't do weird well. Now, I'm not saying they're promoting this poorly. I think they've promoted it as best they can, particularly I think the promo ads have been great. Hell, all month, really. Uh, maybe not so much with, um, you know, with Gustafson versus Rumble, but okay, whatever. That's no big deal. Certainly with the two pay-per-views, it's, it's been really good. It's been really, really good. So I would just submit to you that uh, this is a bizarre fight. Coker does bizarre really well. There's a certain ease with which they, they, they frequent in it. UFC is much more straightforward. One versus two, two versus three, um, real rivalry. They can really, the, the, the UFC machine is very much about facilitating uh, what's already there. It's not so much about taking two disparate things and putting them together. That's not really their strong suit because it's not really their brand. It's not really what their product is. They do it sometimes here or there, but you get the idea. That's much more a, a Coker and Bellator kind of thing. All right. Would you be surprised, as tragic as it would be, if Kane gets injured again and decides to call it quits? I think I would be surprised no matter what, but I would be less surprised if it happened if it was to one of his shoulders again. I've talked about this a number of times, the way your shoulder goes forward and back, and it rotates a thousand different directions. I think he's torn the rotator cuff in both. Uh, I, I tore one in mine and had surgery on this one. I had labrum surgery on this one. I mean, I can't believe he came back as fast as he came back. Again, I understand I'm not Cain Velasquez, but I'm not trying to say that. But I'm a human being. My experience is not completely disparate from the norm. Um, and it was like a year before I felt like myself. And I was in the weight room constantly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I would be surprised just because I think he's got like a bit of a dominant cruise attitude. But if it's another shoulder injury when they're already both jacked up, maybe not. Mayweather Pacquiao, does it happen? As I mentioned, on uh, when I do Luke Thomas's Pissed, it's not because I'm sitting there telling you things I think are true. I'm, I might say one thing that's true and then just a bunch of insulting things to be insulting. But um, I do the one thing I did say in that video, which I actually do believe is, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I know interest is at an all-time high from both participants because Pacquiao needs money and has limited options and Mayweather likes his chances. And when that happens... There's a little bit more enthusiasm. Uh, rethinking Aldo McGregor. Having been told by John Cavanaugh that the fight between Aldo McGregor may happen later in the summer than we expected, does this give McGregor the edge in the fight? No, it does not. Judging his progress and improvements between fights, I feel as if the longer the time he has to train, the greater the chance he has to win. I don't think with this fight it is worth deciding who is going to win between Aldo McGregor, but to decide six to seven months of time between the fight, uh, blah, 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 blah. I feel as if when it comes to McGregor fights from now on, we shouldn't base it on if he can beat the opponent, but if the time period between his last fight and the one coming up is enough time for him to improve to beat his opponent. This is an important question, but I ultimately disagree. I still think that Aldo deserves to be the favorite for all the reasons I mentioned before. I will admit you are on to something, which is to say the following. 
and that you you saw this in the Mendez rematch, and you might see it if I don't know Lamas ever gets a rematch or what we we'll see what happens. But it's this: there is a much bigger learning curve between Aldo and McGregor, which kind of tells you why Aldo should be the favorite. Between now and six and seven months, Aldo is going to improve less than McGregor is going to improve because Aldo has much less room to improve. At some point, I'm not saying he can't add skills or he can't get noticeably better in certain things. I am not saying that. But at some point in a fighter's development, they kind of top out on techniques. Now, they can add a small detail here, and that can have big impacts. You know, you don't necessarily have to add a huge arsenal to have a big impact. Sometimes the smallest details at the highest level is all you really need. But he has less room to improve. He's already a black belt in jiu-jitsu. All of his fights in the UFC have been um, title fights. Look at his mother-effing takedown defense in the second Mendes fight, where he goes hip to one side and creates just enough space for him to explode to the other side in almost like an oopa sweep fashion. it I mean, you're not going to see takedown defense better than that at the highest level of fighting. There's no way McGregor's takedown defense is that good. I don't care what anyone says. Now, I, I don't think that Aldo's going to try and take him down. I don't mean that, but I mean, who has better? who's better at fighting off wrestlers? How could you possibly argue, McGregor? Aldo's resume in terms of fighting off wrestlers is... is beyond compare so sure mcgregor is going to improve he's going to get closer to what aldo's already at between there now how much closer i don't know maybe he gets right for the same i don't know i don't know but if you're asking who's the gold standard in excellence there is jose Aldo. he doesn't have much further to go there's not much more he can really do to add to that Plus, guys get set in their certain ways, or they just don't want to compete in certain things. Or they don't, again, going back to Phil Davis, they don't have the ability to add all these different skills. I mean, there's going to be a few things they're really good at, and that's all they really need. Jose Aldo doesn't have a huge array of all these crazy different skills, at least not ones he regularly employs in title fights. He keeps a pretty basic game plan, all things considered. High, high level refined, but basic. And so, yeah, like McGregor's going to get a lot better. And I think he is going to be, I think he's going to give Jose Aldo a competitive fight. And listen, if his power is what people say it is, then who knows what he could do. But if you're already thinking that McGregor's going to get better between then and there in a way that Aldo can't, that should tell you who's further ahead, not who's the better fighter. Aldo is much further along in his technical maturation than McGregor. That doesn't mean he's automatically going to beat McGregor when they fight. I am not in any way saying that at all. I'm also saying, as I mentioned in a previous one of these things, I think McGregor's a legit fighter. I think he's going to give Aldo a legit fight. But he has much further to go to catch up with Jose Aldo. Do you think Daniel will get back to his full-time duties after the lawsuit passes? Will we ever get the tweets towards the haters and the fans, the one-hour scrums, interviews with Ariel pre- and post-fight ever again? He doesn't seem to be the full-time promoter anymore. Impossible to say for sure. Um, it is uh, related to the lawsuit, despite what others may tell you. Um, I don't know, you know, because even if even if this entire lawsuit is thrown out, it's not like others can't, um, you know, it's if he goes back to what he was doing before, he creates 
I think, a lot of the same kind of ammunition that some of these guys are using against him. Others could do that in the future. I, so I don't really know what's going to happen in the future. He's going to be very curious to find out. Let's see. This is one that didn't get a lot of questions, but I want to answer this because it just drives me crazy. Um, UFC and Fox broadcast times. You may have discussed this before, so forgive me if I'm an echo, but would you be able to provide what you consider to be a cost-benefit analysis of the UFC and Fox Fox's seemingly long programming as it relates to advertisement revenue and audience sustainability. It seems that lately there have been more discussion of how the UFC and Fox broadcasts drag on and on, and I was wondering if the revenue from the advertisements take precedent over decreased viewership and DVR mishaps that may result from these programming choices. Would it hurt the UFC and Fox's bank to keep the shows concise? Hope that makes sense. Thanks, Luke. Um, This is one of the most baffling things to me that I've ever seen. And I, yeah, this is a weird one. So we've talked about this in a different way before, but let's revisit the conversation very briefly, which is there is a reason why they want it to go long. The longer a broadcast goes up to a certain point, of course, I mean, you want to go forever, but, you know, going past its window and bleeding over into following programming, especially as interest builds around a main event, is good for ratings. So, yeah, they want to drag a broadcast out. They want to drag a broadcast out. They want to drag it out and they want to have a go late, and they want to do all this kinds of stuff. I think the exception to the rule is Bellator. Bellator seems to not uh, have this like overarching desire to do that. Uh, they, they run a four-fight card. The fighters are in the card when it's the, – they're in the ring when it starts. Um, and, you know, certainly they have a lot of commercials that they have to fill as well. So some of their shows have gone long as um, too, but I don't think you're nearly the same bellyaching. Also because it's Bellator, and, they, you know, they're not expected to deliver in the way that UFC is expected to deliver. But here's my point. I, I don't, I frankly don't get this at all. I understand why Fox wants to do that. And I understand why UFC wants to do that. But that, there you go. The longer it goes, it makes sense. And, you know, they might have to fill certain ad inventory at a certain rate that they sold it at and all those things. What does that have to do with you? If you don't like the way a broadcast is broadcast to you as a consumer, Say something about it. That's not wrong. It's up to them to figure out what to do with it. Why in the blue hell would your response to this broadcast going long be, well, that's what the UFC wants. That's what Fox wants. And how about this? What do you want? When did that question for MMA fans not become relevant? What do you want, consumer? Would you like less ads? Would you like more fights? Would you like shorter fight cards? Then say something about it. Because if you do, and enough of you do, they'll be forced to make some adjustments. And they'll figure things out. The guys at the UFC and the guys at Fox and the ladies there, they're smart people. They're experienced television executives. They'll figure this out. They'll find ways to pack in all the inventory and have it go long enough to get the kind of ratings they want to get uh, and, and, uh, and still deliver on the kind of consumer experience. But if your consumer experience is to be like, you know what, my phone is, is uh, too thick, but hey, I guess that's just something I got to live with. Well, no, you complain about how thick it is, and they work on making it thinner. If you don't like the, something about the product and enough of you tell someone about the product, be it in any line of work, people who make furniture, people who make electronics, the restaurant you go to, 
these, these businesses are all businesses. Anyone that, anyone that competes anyway are entirely, entirely reliant on consumer feedback on responsiveness. And if, and if the, sum the sum total of consumer, consumer feedback on responsiveness as well as good what's a good brand, brand what, what on earth, earth would tell you, tell you to, say to say something like that? What do, what do you, you want, want as, a fan? as a fan? What matters, what matters to you, you as, a as a consumer of, of their, broadcast? their broadcast? What do, what do you, you want, want to see? To see? Say, say it. And say it without regarding things they, they have to worry, have to worry about. about. Say it for say what, it for what, what makes your, your experience great. And somewhere between what you want, you want, and what they can reasonably deliver, deliver, line a line, will share, and they'll come up with creative ways to figure things out, things out for you. But people who are like, well, it's, well, it's, it's, it goes long because I'm better for Fox. I don't care! I'm a consumer! Why is that even remotely relevant to my life? It's not relevant even a little bit. I understand why they do it. Okay, fine. I don't care. I'm watching your TV, I, and I mentioned this before, it took 15 minutes before Cecilia and uh, Corsani were introduced. Sorry, for me, as a consumer, and people I had over watching the fights, way too long. Not that the analysis was bad, I think the interesting part about it is that Fox wants to give you content. They want to give you Brian Stan and Daniel Cormier breaking down the night's main event and saying cool, smart, interesting things, which they do. But maybe break it up a little bit. Maybe squeeze in another fight. Maybe find something else. I don't know. You figure it out. You find a way to deliver on my experience. But if you could do a little less noise and a little more signal, not a lot, just a little bit, I'd be happier as a consumer. You'd be delivering on my consumer expectations. And I know for a fact I'm not alone. The last thing I'm going to say is, well, this is what Samsung wants. Hey, I know Verizon gave all the, or the, uh, my, uh, the, um, I know, Ver what was it that Verizon came up with? It was a news recently in, um, in uh, The Verge about, I think, some kind of super cookies they were giving to the NSA. It's like, well, that's, that's, they're doing it because that's good for their brand. I don't give a damn. This is utterly irrelevant to me. I don't work for Fox. I don't work for the UFC. I will let them figure that out. Me, as the guy who pays his direct TV bill to get Fox or Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2 or NBC Sports or Spike TV, hey, I think it takes too long. Figure something out. Drives me crazy. Glory 19. Uh, are you going to be there? Yes, I will be there at Glory 19. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Fans and Johnson versus Jones. So Jones says to positive for cocaine. Everyone jumps on him and hates him for being fake. By the way, folks, this is a wrecked question. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're like, oh, my God, here comes the John Jones thing. Someone else asked it, and everyone turned it green. So there you go. Everybody jumps on Jones and hates him for being fake. Johnson is successfully convicted of beating one woman and accused by another, but nobody calls him of being fake when he is polite and kind in public interviews. MMA fans have pretty messed up standards of what they do and don't approve of. Thoughts? Um, certainly he has a checkered past, which I have not forgotten. But I also believe, or at least there's, I think, reason to believe, and maybe he is a terrible person. We'll, we'll find out, you know. I don't know. Maybe he is a terrible person. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is he seems to have matured at least enough to stay out of trouble. Um, I think his past is, is relevant to an extent, uh, just as Jones's cocaine use is only relevant to a pretty minor extent. But certainly f he, his past is worth examining and keeping an eye on to some degree. Um, but also I think keeping in mind the ability to, um, 
I do think people change. I, don't, I know there's a lot of disbelief about the capacity of people to reform their lives. I don't, I don't take that idea seriously. I think, I think you can, and to the extent that he can and he has, or that he will, um, I'll just stay out of his personal legal issues for now. But you know, what we're talking about here is John's cocaine use is like John's cocaine use is illegal. Okay. Only because our drug laws are insane for, for starters. And second of all, really at the end of the day, it's not a legal issue that we're talking about. It wasn't like dealing cocaine. He was using it. That's more a potential substance abuse issues. Everyone's like, what about Aaron Hernandez? Should we just ignore his life? Well, no, Aaron Hernandez is on trial for, I don't know, murdering several people. When John Jones gets to the level where he's murdering several people or maybe hitting people he's not supposed to in the street, we can revisit the conversation. But as long as it's just a thing that really kind of at the end of the day only affects him, you know, the amount of scrutiny he deserves is about that. Um, all right. Rumble, I can, I can see a case for having a little more scrutiny about him for sure. But maybe he's changed. I don't know. Uh, making MMA journalism a career. Luke, I write for, I guess what you could call for, a mid-tier MMA site that does pretty well in terms of traffic. Our best month was nearly 120K views. Congratulations. I feel I get paid fairly and love working with the guys that run the site, but I'm looking to make this into a career where I travel out to fights and get paid enough to make a relatively healthy living. I currently have to do work outside along with writing and only frequent the occasional show in NY area. Uh, and that's if I even get approved for credentials. I've been doing this for a couple of years, and I've only just turned 20. Jesus, you're doing just fine. So I feel like I can pursue this career for a bit longer, but eventually I'll have to look for a real job if I don't start making good enough money to be financially stable in the next few years. Sorry for the long-winded story, but as for my question, what advice can you give someone in my situation who is looking to make a living as an MMA writer, get hired by one of the bigger sites like MMA Fighting, Junkie, or etc.? Um, there's a video I put out, which I'll link in the comments after the fact about certain kinds of content you can do. Let me just give you a piece of advice. And this is true to me today. Like none of this has changed for me today. My life today is not different in this sense. Hell, it might even be worse in some ways. Um, there are very few jobs where you get to do, I am unbelievably lucky. You're never going to hear me get up here and say, I'm just here because I don't get fined. You're never going to hear me say that. Okay. Ever. Um, it's pretty simple, really. Yeah. In, in one sense, there are very, very, very few jobs uh, available to, to people who are as fortunate as me or people like Mindenhall or Ariel or Dan Stupp or Greg Savage or whoever the case. You know, these people who have, um, you know, long storied established careers at big sites. There's not many of them. And so if you want to contend for them, you need to be as competitive as them. And that may not sound like the kind of answer you're looking for, but to this day, dude, I work hard. And no one, you know, I'm not asking for a pat on the back. It's not about that. I'm just trying to tell you what's respected of you. If you don't get out there and hustle every single day and try to either to develop a source or ability to write or to do podcasts or to do something of such value that we have to pay attention to you and we have to take your work seriously, um, then you are going to be stuck at the level you're at, which is not a bad level. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's difficult to get where you, to, to get um, high enough to be paid in sports journalism and, and, and you know, live to your point relatively healthy, but you got to get out there and you got to compete. You got to get so good at something that folks have no choice, but to, to, to latch on to what you're doing. And if you don't do that, then there's no, there's no hope for you or anyone. Let's see, let's see. Uh, pick the winners. Faber versus Dillashaw. I will go Dillashaw. Edgar versus Cruz. Cruz. Mendez versus Cruz. Mendez. 
I mean, these are all weight class changes. McGregor Swanson, probably McGregor. Chandler versus Jury. Uh, jury at this point. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but Jury. Cerrone versus Melendez. Probably Melendez. Alvarez versus Gaethje. Alvarez. Lombard versus Woodley. Lombard. Excuse me. Uh, I might go Woodley on that one. Rockhold versus Machida. I don't know. That's a tough one, man. Miocic versus Brown. Um, maybe Miocic? Aguilar versus Esparza 2. I would go Esparza at this point. Uh, Brandon Schaub, Luke, do you listen to the Fighter and the Kid podcast? I've listened a couple of times. I can't confess to listening regularly, but they're always at the top of iTunes, so they must be doing something right. Have you had any personal action with Big Brown? Yeah, uh, Brendan Schaub, uh, I haven't had any recent interaction with him. I, don't, I think I saw him at, um, God, what fight did I see him at? What was the last UFC fight I covered? Uh, the one in Baltimore. I think maybe I saw him there. Maybe, I can't remember at this point. Maybe it was like Jones Rampage. I don't know. But uh, anyway, he fought for UWC back in the day, which was an organization I did some commentary for. And he uh, he had a fight there against a local guy who was a wrestling stand-up for George Mason. Uh past his prime and Brown crushed him uh, or shop. I'm sorry. Big Brown crushed him um, and sort of moved on pretty quickly from there to the UFC. So when I did have interaction with him and I've interviewed him several times, he's been nothing but great. Is Stefan Struve the ideal return fight for him? Struve is ranked 15 in the heavyweight division is coming off a loss. It would appear to me if that Schaub, Schaub couldn't get past Struve, then maybe he should take Rogan's advice to consider concentrating on other ventures. Love the fight. I think it's a great fight for both guys. Absolutely. Uh, let's quickly, your comment in the Monday morning analyst got me thinking, which would translate to a greater chance of success at heavyweight John bone Jones's fight IQ for creative style or rumbles hand speed and power. Both would translate. Well, I would still pick skills over like the ability to have different kinds of skills for different circumstances over one incredibly powerful skill, but that at heavyweight is a little less, a little less limited, a little more limited, I should say. Um, Frodo, do you think Frodo Hospital Live could come to the UFC? God, I hope so. His, like, if someone said to you, what was the best thing about Bellator in 2013? What was the best thing about it? How would you answer that question? Maybe a number of different ways. I would tell you it's the featherweight campaign of Frodo Hospital Live. What he did, how he did it, who he did it to, how he developed himself, the, the, like, again, I've spoken out a lot about how I thought the there were a lot of problems with the way in which Bellator did tournaments. But the featherweight tournament that he was a part of in 2013 was like the sublime, perfect execution of one. It was so good. And if you weren't paying attention, I'm sorry. I feel for you because it was awesome. It was really, really good. And he came out on top looking like a destroyer. You know, how good he actually is in the end? Unfortunately, we don't know, but that was an awesome tournament. That was a really, really fun tournament. And you look at featherweight now with Strauss and Pitbull and Kern, and you just feel like Frodo's missing. This is one of the things I talked about at the beginning of the show. Sometimes all you need is four or five guys, and the rest can all just be – doesn't matter. But those four, maybe five guys together taking turns on each other, fighting, it just lifts – it lifts it, – it makes for the things in MMA that are great. It lifts a division – at least in their organization, 
Um, you know, not the division worldwide, but you know, hey, Bellator's for the weight. Hey, Bellator's light heavyweight division. These are great, and uh, I feel like we missed out on that. And and not that those guys aren't doing great already, the Kern and Strauss and the Pitbull. But um, man, it'd be so fun to see Frodo part of that mix because I think you'd give those guys tough fights. I, and I maybe you wouldn't beat any of them, but they're not. You're not going to walk over Frodo Hospitalive. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. Uh, let's go to Twitter, the Twitter machine at SBN Luke Thomas. Uh, don't know if you've answered it yet, but Gus, but if Gaslam can beat Tyron, do you think maybe Rory might be next? Uh, there we go. Someone says audio is jacked. I don't know what to do about it. Let's do this. Um, if Gaslam beats Tyron Woodley, do you think maybe Rory might be next? If Gaslam beats Woodley, would Rory be next? Um, yeah, or maybe the, honestly, maybe the loser of Hendricks Brown is possible too. Um, but Rory might happen as well. Let's see. If Silva loses to Diaz, he definitely needs to retire because his prime would have crushed him. Here's one note about the Diaz-Silva thing that none of us have talked about yet. And this is sort of my take on the fight. My thought is that, if again, if Silva sort of fights the way he's supposed to fight and can fight, he will. I really, even after all that happened against Weidman, I don't know that he can completely leave his showman instincts behind. I think it's part of who he is at this point. Just fighting a straightforward, disciplined game plan is not very Anderson Silva-like. I don't think he'll do the same thing he was doing before, where he was up there just basically dancing. I don't, I don't think we'll get to that, but... Uh, I do think we'll get something like that, especially since Diaz probably will do something to evoke it or may reciprocate in some kind of capacity. So there's that. Um, but I, if you have a question about Silva's declining ability to take punishment, I don't think that's a bad question or a wrong question or an imprecise question. I think it's very fair and totally founded. We don't quite know the answer to it. Maybe it's just that Weidman has it. Maybe the rumors about him getting knocked out are just completely garbage, and he's, you know, probably not prime Anderson Silva, but good enough to beat most guys. Okay, fine, you know. Um, but it's worth examining how he responds to the punches of Nick Diaz. Does he completely get out of the way, like kick him to death and, you know, jab and then move? Uh, okay, fine. Does he do all those things, but then get hit and collapse? We'll see because Nick Diaz has power, but we know it's, you know, he has to h- either hit you right on the button like he did against Robbie Lawler or, uh, you know, he has to just overwhelm you with strikes. And if, and we need to see what sort of what happens here. Why won't you let your dog in? He loves you because he's annoying when I'm trying to do this chat. Does the UFC 186 card reek of UFC 174-esque pay-per-view formalism, albeit the main event, which is actually viable? I haven't even looked at UFC 186. Uh, apologies for any of the uh, audio problems. What does the UFC do with Connor if he loses to Jose? Do they really believe he can beat Jose? Uh, I think they think he can be competitive and anything can happen in mixed martial arts. I do. I'm, I am totally um, a believer in that idea. And if he loses, this is what I was talking about. I don't think he can get back there without beating someone like a Swanson. I don't think he can get back there without, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Edgar, with a Mendez, with a Lamas. I think he will eventually have to well, have to eat it at the Wolves at that point. I mean, even if he wins, he has to face one of those guys. So either way, 
either direction he goes, he's going to have to fight someone who can put it on him. And so we're really going to see these next two fights, the Aldo fight, win or lose. And the fight after that, you're really going to get a nice look at who Conor McGregor is. I think, I think the next two fights are going to be so instructive in answering what we know about him and in the full totality of his game that uh, we'll be able to start making some more serious assessments of his skill set. And I think the skill set's good, but it's just incomplete. You think the UFC should introduce a 195-pound division? Absolutely not. No way, shape, or form. Um, let's see. And Sarah, we've already talked about a little bit. Did the UFC rob Peter to pay Paul last Saturday? Did it make sense for the UFC to risk Gustafson losing in Sweden by having him in a fight with Rumble? I mean, that's on two fronts. One, Gustafson losing in Sweden probably wasn't a great move for him going forward in Sweden. Two, the UFC lost out on a huge pay-per-view rematch with Jones. First of all, a couple things. The answer is yes, they did rob Peter to pay Paul. That's how they've been doing all these shows. There's been, I would say, month Not The last show wasn't a whole lot of filler. But in the month, there's been a ton of filler on some of these fight cards. Uh, just fights that have no business taking place at this level, right? And this is me, consumer, giving feedback, right? I'm not just aping what the UFC, oh, this is what UFC gives me. Okay, well, UFC must have a reason for it. Might as well just take it. Who says stuff like that? Yeah, here's your feces ice cream sandwich. Hey, it's good for this company because if they can give me feces, then I only actually have to make ice cream. I can just have the feces in the cone. I might get two scoops of feces because it's good for them because they can keep their costs low. I mean, I was looking for sweet ice cream. Maybe I'll pour some sweet and low on top. I mean, who's you know, no one says that. If it's bad or in a way that's displeasing to you, you act on it. Even if you like the feces sandwich or ice cream cone or whatever. Uh, but back to... <laughs> I don't know where that went. But back to this point. Uh, yeah, they did rob Peter to pay Paul. They had to. But they're... I don't mind them robbing Peter to pay Paul if there is an ulterior benefit for even the fans still. So I would say, look, it's better for UFC to go have a fight in Sweden because it's good for them. But I I don't know. I kind of I got more out of it watching that big fight atmosphere. I felt like that was kind of fun for me. I, if they had, I mentioned this before, if they just put it in the United Center, which is a great venue, or even here in D.C. in the Verizon Center, another great venue. That would have been fine. There would have been nothing wrong with it, but it would have been ordinary. I like it when UFC takes a little bit of risk sometimes. I like it when they experiment. I like it when they try daring things. You know, when it's just the same old thing over and over again, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not so plugged in. But when they're out there trying, I'm not, I'm not nearly as down on them for trying. Um, and it worked, I thought. I mean, the stuff about Sweden backfired, but that's fight sports. It's just bad luck. What can you do about that? You can't just avoid countries because, oh, we may lose here. Gustafson was the favorite going in. These were calculated gambles that they make. And I think on some level, it was it enhanced the fan experience to see that. Um, so I, I don't I don't know that that was the worst thing ever. Plus, look, they got a lot of masters to serve. You know, they've got uh, Fox they have to do. They've got FS1 they have to do. They've got pay-per-view they have to do. But I mentioned this on Signal to Noise yesterday. Something that folks aren't considering about this, it's not just that UFC's had a really good month, because they have. And I don't think any of this is sustainable, but that's not a that's not a knock on them. It can't be. You can't always be this good. Okay, fine. But that they have been this good, I think, is important. And moreover, to me, this is sort of the impressive part about it all, is they've been good on a bunch of different platforms. Now, I don't know what numbers they pulled on Fight Pass. Probably not that great. But they pulled mega numbers with Conor McGregor on Fox Sports 1. They pulled great pay-per-view buy rate 
on pay-per-view with Jones Cormier. They pulled a very respectable and healthy number um, with with uh, Gustafson versus Rumble. And we'll see what kind of pay-per-view they'll do this weekend. I don't think it'll be anything like what it was for, um, you know, maybe 500 is too much, 500,000. I don't think it'll match Jones DC, but I think it'll be pretty good. I think it'll be pretty good. You know, you have to sort of acknowledge that that level of success. You have to acknowledge that kind of the ability to succeed on that many different platforms. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And yes, they have to rob Peter to pay Paul. So this is my point. Like everyone who's enjoying January, you should. You can't take this month away from the UFC. They're killing it right now. But you're going to feel it later on in the year. Like at some point. It's because they've front-loaded everything. Um, this is, you know... It shows that they can do this many shows in, in quick succession and do well. But if you think they can keep this up the whole year, you're crazy. This is a moment in time. You should enjoy it for what it's worth. But you should certainly expect this to dissipate in a pretty substantial way as time goes on. With maybe another peak later on in the year. But that's how it's going to be. Yeah? Uh, that's an interesting question. How long can UFC use fighters from the Pride era? With bringing back Crow Cop, Rampage, other fighters, arguably past their primes, how long can UFC operate like this? As long as you're willing to buy it and none of you are going to raise the ethical concerns about using guys this far on. No, Rampage, you know, not so much, but the other guys, that that's how long. If, you're, if you don't like this stuff, say something. Be something. And that goes for anybody. If that goes for what something Bellator is doing, say something. If it goes for what something World Series of Fighting is doing, say something. But, but you need to express your concerns as your concerns, independent of what anyone else does. That's the only way it all works together. Thatch versus Wonderboy. I think Thatch is raw, but I wonder if his aggression might be too much or his undoing. I haven't thought enough about it. Uh, someone asked a question later about... Do women fighters wear cups? No. According to the unified rules, men are not only required to wear cups, women are expressly forbidden from wearing cups. Now, if someone was asking about why, why is that the case, there is some reason to believe that there's an anatomy among women that um, being kicked in their own groin also has, uh, it hurts. But no, they don't wear, they don't wear uh, any protective gear. Uh, John Jones versus Velasquez. Since the success Jones had versus DC, are you more or less inclined to pick Jones in that fight? I would still pick Velasquez to win, but I think what you saw was in the wake of the Gustafson fight, all the Jones-Velasquez talk died down. In the wake of the DC fight, you're like, uh, maybe Jones might win. Certainly, you could see that it's not the craziest idea in the world. People saw what he did to Cormier and... Um, it's enough to make you think he could do a lot at heavyweight. A lot. Did you ever find out about the ref cam from last week? No, but I will ask about the ref cam, and I will ask about the two sets of commentators, and I'll update you guys next week on that. UFC will, uh, true or false, we'll do one of these. UFC will do over 630,000 buys. There's no way it'll do that. UFC will book DC versus Gus. I hope so. Because I want to see that. Vladimir Klitschko versus Deontay Wilder. Or uh, beats Deontay Wilder. True. UFC killed off some hype for Diaz Silva due to the amount of big events they were having. I also think that had an effect. There's been so much UFC. I still think they'll do well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're going to do poorly by any stretch. But for sure, there's a little bit of fatigue setting in. 
Uh, Aldo gets hurt and pushes the fight back to winner. Wouldn't surprise me. Rumble would be a top five heavyweight based on his power. Maybe. Luke Thomas watched Luke Rockhold on Millionaire Matchmaker last weekend and enjoyed it. I still have not seen it. Luke has secretly glad WWE Raw has canceled due to the blizzard. I didn't even know that. WWE Raw. Oh, right. Raw, not the Royal Rumble. Uh, whatever. I don't care. Um, one thing to note about uh, Luke Rockhold on Millionaire Matchmaker. I mean, partly it's that he's a millionaire. Obviously, that's one part about it. But the the uh, the other part about it that to keep in mind is um, we often talk about sexism in the sport and Joanne Calderwood talking about how, you know, look, I can't get a fight because these girls don't want to compete against me. This is not really fair, yet you've got Felice Herrig and Paige Van Zandt, and they're getting booked partly because Van Zandt is openly talking about, you know, um, how their looks probably contributed to, to the fight's appeal. Um I would say Luke Rockhold's an interesting test case because he does show that good looks and George St. Pierre to, to a, I think, a slightly lesser extent, but good looks can certainly enhance your career. But what Luke Rockhold is doing has nothing to do with fighting. I mean, he's fighting on Fight Pass for crying out loud. You know, headlining his last show. Great show, but he was on Fight Pass. Um, and the Millionaire Matchmaker stuff is sort of ancillary. It's, 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 or I should say auxiliary stuff. It's got nothing to do with fighting per se. And I think the idea is that being good looking generally helps you as a person, whether you're a girl or a guy. It just seems to have a greater, relatively speaking, a greater weight uh, forward if you're pretty and uh, a bit of a drag more noticeably if you're not. It's not that one experiences it and the other doesn't. It's that they both do in their sort of different ways. But in terms of their fight career itself, for women, it's more important and, um, and more noticeable and more, I think, arguably a little bit more measurable. Let's do one more and we'll get out of here. Uh, maybe two. True or false, Rumble destroys Jones in 2015. I'd be a hard time believing that he would destroy him. Uh, last one, we'll end on this. Joe Rogan post-fight interviewing. It, it is one thing for Rogan to be wrong about calling Ogles KO an early stoppage, but I was annoyed with his post-fight interviewing. Luckily, Amir Khan, he wasn't bothered by it too much, but asking him whether it was an early stoppage kind of ruins his moment. And Amir Khani is not the right person to ask that question. Anyway, were you as annoyed as I was, uh, or am I overreacting? Also, is Rogan a bit off lately saying Stallings' cut was not that bad and now disputing a perfectly fine stoppage? Yeah, yeah listen, he might be a little bit off right now. Um, dude, he did three weeks back-to-back, or almost back-to-back, not quite, but three weeks in a month he did. He did 182, he did the Conor McGregor card, and he did this card. That's insane. That's an insane amount of work to do. And if you're doing the prep, it's a lot of work. Even if you're not doing the prep, it's a lot of time talking. Look at this live chat. I only do an hour and a half. How long are those UFC broadcasts? Six, seven hours at times, right? Something insanely long. You can't talk for six hours and make sense all the time. It's not possible. I can't talk for an hour and a half and make sense. It doesn't work that way. It just simply doesn't work. Half the things you say in your life, for the most part, are probably wrong. You can try to hedge it. You can try to explain things, and maybe you'll get those things right, and you will be right sometimes. But you're just going to have slip-ups, and he was probably traveling late, and or maybe he was just wrong about it, and this is his perspective. But I don't really see it as a huge scandal. I really don't. I don't see it as an overall indictment about his ability. I think his body of work speaks for itself. And, um, you know, I don't agree with the things he was saying about the Ogle stoppage or about Amir, the Connie 
uh, in that way. Uh, I also, I don't remember exactly what said about the Henderson stoppage, but you get the idea. So they don't agree with him about the Ogle stoppage, but I, I am entirely forgiving of him. It's hard to get and just talk and be correct and say things interestingly and be factually on point all the time. And to do that weekend after weekend after weekend traveling, it's, you're going to slip up. It's just inevitable. So, um, you know, and Joe is an independent guy and a guy who thinks for himself. And sometimes that's going to lead you into a brave world of interesting ideas ahead of the pack. And sometimes it's going to make put you behind. And maybe this is just one of those times that puts you behind. It's not, I don't really see it as the world's biggest scandal. Uh, with that said, you can get at me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. You may also email me. But if you're going to email me, if you got a chat question, save it for the chat. If you got a long question, just unless it's super important, don't bother. But if you want to email me something that's independent of that, and there's plenty of things independent of that, you may do so at luke.thomas.espination.com. But if I can't get to you, it's because your email is long or you're asking things that I'm just going to get to in the chat anyway. My email is for people who have questions outside of those things. Okay? All right. Uh, love you guys. Flying out to Vegas tomorrow. If you see me in Vegas, please feel free to say hi. Oh, or don't. Don't say hi at all. Either way, it's up to you. Uh, I'll be there. Um, and I'll be at the uh, weigh-ins, uh, UFC 183, and uh, I guess I'm going to the MMA Awards too. So if you see me, say hi or not. Just, um, yeah, up to you. But don't be shy. With that being said, see you guys next week. Plenty of coverage coming your way starting tonight. Until next time, stay frosty.